You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, it is now 12.01 Friday morning and I really would like to go to sleep. Well, first off, I got to say happy birthday to my wife, the Rockets fan. And um, I, you know, the Rockets, obviously, uh, I don't think they have, they didn't have a first round pick, but D'Anthony Melton at number 46. Uh, I, thought, I thought that was a nice birthday present for my wife. We, we talked about him with Cole. Um, so, you know, rich get richer. And uh, I don't know. I'm uh, not really not really that excited about Bucks draft night. I thought uh, underwhelming to whelming. <laughs> it's my yeah. summary. And uh, we, will, we will see the Bucks. Uh, as, as if any of you don't know what happened, but I guess we'll recap. The Bucks taking uh, Villanova guard Dante DiVincenzo at number 17 for all the talk about potentially – it was more so trading down it seemed like was more likely than trading up. Um, for the millionth year in the row, the Bucks do not trade up in the NBA draft. Uh, they stick at 17 and then for all the you know perpetual hope of the Bucks buying that second-round pick that they gave up for Tyler Zeller, yeah, didn't happen. Um so the Bucks end up with just just one player, and um, I don't know. I mean, you were just you just came from the John Horst press conference, or the, was it the second John Horst press conference? Well, there's a John uh, Horst uh, immediately following the pick, and then Mike Budenholzer here uh, at the end of the night to talk about Dante Divincenzo. So talk to us about Dante Divincenzo, uh, and or at least you can give us your opinion, but at least tell, at least tell us what those guys thought, uh, since they're the ones that made the pick. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the major takeaways that you grab from that were, um, you look at the system that he played in, in Villanova. I think that was a major plus in his direction, uh, from both Horst and Boonholzer, because, uh, when you look at that Villanova team, obviously they do uh, a lot of the same things as Mike Boonholzer likes his team to do. Uh, they move the ball well. They kind of have more of that, you know, five out, attack, attack, attack. And if you are one of those members, you know you have to be able to shoot. You have to be able to pass and make a play. You have to be able to handle the ball. Um, so uh, to me, that was that was one of the things that I think they ended up valuing with this pick, that they had a guy that could do all of those things. And I just think uh, I think where it's going to be somewhat concerning is obviously we heard the rhetoric going into the draft on Tuesday. John Horst was talking about how this was a pick that they hoped could contribute next year, and that would be a home run pick for them that they find a guy that could contribute in this upcoming season. And 
I know we we kind of had a chance to talk about it, um, but I think it was kind of a concerning thing to hear. Um, obviously, you don't want to hear your general manager say, we don't want our rookie to be good. But uh, I do think a lot of the times when you are going into a draft and you're thinking about higher upside guys, you're willing to think about the idea of, okay, maybe in year one he doesn't do much for us. Um, and then you hopefully get – you get that player to be leaps and bounds better as they go forward. Um, and this year it did seem like they could, did kind of put a priority on finding someone that uh, I think John Horse used the phrase plug and play uh, with Dante DiVincenzo. And um, when he said that, he also referenced uh, Josh Hart of the Lakers. Um, and he also mentioned their own rookie from last year, Sterling Brown, in that, uh, you know, because of, Sterling Brown's physical size because of the way that he could hit shots because of the way that he could pass a little bit like they had confidence that he could play right away next last year um, and I think they think a number of those same things with Dante DiVincenzo where the problem comes is those guys were second round picks the, well, those Josh guys, Hart was the was the last pick of the first round technically but it still stands still stands those guys are were not top 29 picks they were yeah they were further down in the draft so i I totally agree it 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 is a bit of a weird comp to compare him to guys who obviously were were not you know anything close to lottery talents and and obviously you go 17 yeah you're close to a lottery talent on at least in theory right yeah and and i mean that was the thing that uh, i guess it was just kind of weird to hear um i think typically you hear i don't want to say more optimistic um, I guess it's more optimistic. And again, they're probably not realistic comps, but you know, when you are talking up someone you just drafted, I don't think you often compare them to a guy you got with the 38th pick the previous season or someone that got drafted 29 the year before by a different team. Like you're, yeah, you're 46, hopeful. I think for, for Sterling Brown, wasn't it like 46 or 47? I thought it was 36 and 38 were the ones that got sold. And oh, maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. Um, but either way, so you don't, you don't compare them to those people. You compare them to people that, are hopefully better than them um, and something to kind of aspire to. So uh, I just thought it was interesting. And um, I I know I'm going to let you kind of give your opinion here, but I thought that really stuck out to me. um, Just the idea that they liked that system. And as I think about it, I thought that SMU system last year for Sterling Brown was a big part of that as well. Because when you look at that SMU team, same thing. Uh, Larry Brown was, it was, was Larry Brown even coach from last year? Whatever. Um, that SMU team, they played that kind of five-out style. Everyone handles, everyone passes, everyone shoots. So I can kind of see why you might be attracted to that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think you still wonder a little bit um, if he has that crazy upside. This is a guy that came off the bench for most of his career. And, again, they they mentioned throughout their pre- both press conferences that, you know, when you look at that Villanova team – Dante was clearly one of the best players on that team. And again, that's all well and good, but he was a sixth man in college. Uh, That's uh, I want alpha dogs. (laughs) I want someone who was very clearly that team's best player. Like that is the, I think the hope in what you're aspiring to when you are drafting a guy in the first round. So uh, just uh, again, some stuff that got, that was given to us as positives um, and things that I guess I kind of wonder, I can see why you'd say that's a positive, but when I'm thinking about first round draft picks, are those actually positives? And I think that question kind of still stands. Yeah. Let me, before I kind of get into my, 
sort of view of this pick. Let, let me just kind of give some of the numbers if, if people are curious. So last year, plays in 40 games, starts 10 of them, um, average 29 minutes per game. Um, in terms of like just the, the kind of raw averages, uh, he averaged, uh, what, 13.4 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.2 blocks, 2 turnovers, um, shot 40.1% from 3 on 5.3 attempts, so obviously very high 3-point rate in terms of the percentage of his total shots. Over 50% of his shots were threes. Shot close to 58% on twos, um, which I think speaks to you know a guy who more so than I mean he, he can put it on the floor a little bit but you know good cutter and obviously on a team where you know he's playing off the ball a lot he obviously took advantage of, of being on a very good team and being in a you know really good offensive system and you know they were able to use him pretty well so he shot a very nice percentage from two um, fewer than three free throw attempts per game um, and actually kind of one of the sneaky concerning things about him you see his three-point numbers 38 percent for his career um, from three. That's obviously, you know, positive on 344 attempts. Um, but shot 70% his, his sophomore year and just 71% last year, which, you know, we often talk about um, free throw shooting in college often being a better sort of more more translatable statistic for how guys will shoot from deep than, uh, than three-point percentage because oftentimes, you know, this, the sample is so low on, on threes. Um, I mean, maybe with him it's the opposite just because he I was took just so say many that. free throws. Um, but, you know, the same token, it's like he didn't really improve and he's, you know, a much worse free throw shooter than you'd expect from a guy who obviously was a kind of a three-point specialist. And, um, you know, I think you look at his shot chart a bit more deeply. I tweeted out um, uh, uh, the Synergy Sports, um, you know, kind of shot chart uh, for him. And, you know, he looks he looks very good, I think, from that uh, from from that view of things, shot a lot of NBA range threes. I think they said like 13% of his shots were NBA range threes, and he shot like 37%. So that's certainly a positive. You know that fact that he doesn't need to really stretch out, you know, himself maybe as much as as some guys do. I think you watch him shoot the ball. I mean, he shoots a very easy ball. I think his yeah. his his form is very nice. I I don't have any real reason to think that he can't stretch out three point line i think there's positive there although again the, th- the free throw percentage is is a bit of a head scratcher just because again like you know i think if you just saw him shooting threes and the depth that he shoots threes you think oh this guy's like a you know low 80 percent something three-point shooter right um what was his average so, per game free throw attempts like two 2.7 okay. per game yeah and again, I mean, he's a guy who the, his. I, I always like to look at like per forty minute numbers for college guys, just because, especially for someone like him who didn't play tons. You know, like per forty, he was eighteen point four points, six and a half rebounds, four point eight assists, one point four steals, um, seven point two threes per forty attempted. That's good. Three point seven free throws attempted per forty. Um, you know, and again, it's always kind of harder to tease apart as well. It's like, well, I mean, you know, he was a six man. He wasn't asked to be, you know the guy on on a team like Villanova. So, yeah, I mean, you could probably guess, well, he'd probably score at a higher clip if, if he played on a team where he was the best player or the second best player. Um, he'd probably also not be as efficient, right? He was a yeah. 60% true shooting guy last year, which is very nice. 61%, which is, is very strong. Um, so, I, you know, again, like that's sort of the baseline of, of the stats. And I think for me, you know, I think I mentioned him as a guy that I was, you know, when I, I asked you about who did you hope would be off the board by the time the Bucks picked? Instead of asking who, who you wanted the Bucks to pick, yep. you know, I oftentimes view this more as like, I can't really say with much confidence that 
you know that which guys I think are going to be really good, but I can kind of pick out guys that like I'm skeptical, a little skeptical of, yep. um, or at least philosophically I have concerns about. And I mentioned to Vincenzo, and and it kind of just tracks back to just sort of the general philosophical idea of, you know, are you drafting for high floors? Are you drafting for, you know, upside? Um, what are you, what is your philosophy? Are you drafting for need? Um, I think certainly, Vincenzo fills, you know. You could say he certainly fills some some potential need, right? Because I mean, he can obviously get get some give some competition for minutes at the two guard. Um, you know, you'd hope that if that three point per, uh, shooting translates, and you know, again, he's um, I don't know if he's going to be ever a, a great defender, but certainly as a guy who works hard and and can play within a team concept, it seems like he can certainly be a solid defender. Um, I, you know, again, we'll, we'll kind of see how that how that kind of evolves. Um, I mean, in terms of his measurements, um, just to give you guys an idea, he measured at the combine six three and a half uh, barefoot, six four and a half in shoes, two hundred pounds even. Um, posted one of the best vertical leaps. I think he actually might have had the highest max vertical, thirty four and a half no step vertical, forty two max vertical. Um, so obviously that's encouraging, right? I mean, he's got raw athleticism. He's not like, you know. I don't know, pick your random white two guard that, you know, you want to compare, <laughs> compare him to. Or Rashad Vaughn. Um, or Rashad Vaughn, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, I think he's both more sort of combine athletic and I think he's also much more functionally athletic than a guy like Rashad Vaughn. I mean, you see him throwing down put-back dunks and, you know, occasionally dunking, you know, uh, in, in the half court last year. So, um, again, he's, he's not long, though, 6'6 six, six wingspan. Um, so he's, you know, definitely not a, a guy that I think and you just kind of look at his measurements, 200 pounds, six, six wingspan. Certainly you'd have some concerns like, you know, he's not ever going to be a small ball four. uh, can he defend threes? I'm sure in many lineups he could, you know, again, I, I don't know. Right. I mean, really mm-hmm. probably, probably the bigger question is like, I mean, can, is he going to be a solid defender period more so than like, Oh, is he, can he depend threes versus twos? But, but again, I mean, he's, I think it'll be interesting. I don't know if he's, I don't know what he'd be like defending point guards. I'm not sure how much he did that. I just don't know enough about him. Um, but I think that's obviously a big question. I mean, you'd hope the Bucks saw a lot of versatility. Um, since that's always something they, they talk about. Um, I don't Boone think they worry about it. He saw him as a one, two, um, yeah. during okay. his availability. So, yeah. And that's important, right? Because, um, you know, I, I think and I think we brought this up. You know, when we were talking about prospects, you know, could you talk yourself into him being like a off-ball point guardish guy with you know Giannis and Chris on the court at times? If if that worked, then obviously his value would be notably higher. If he's not a good enough ball handler, then you'd be more concerned. I think, um, like he had a good assist rate last year, right? I mean, three and a half per game in 30 minutes is, is a really good assist rate, almost five per 40. Um, but from everything I've seen, that's much more of like a ball movement, kind of just making the right pass type type guy yeah. uh, and being on an awesome offensive team. Um, Definitely some so ecosystem than, stuff there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he, I, it's, I think I've heard reference that like, you know, he can run some pick and roll, but, you know, he's not like bringing up the floor and get out of his way and put him in a pick and roll and let him create, right? That's that's really not what he is, or at least certainly not what we've seen. Um so that anyway, that's sort of a picture, kind of of the kind of player he's been. Um, I again, I think for me, 
I had him on my list of guys I didn't want the Bucks to pick just because again I, I and and you know we you know he's what what is he he's 21 and change I think at this point you know, he he technically was three years at at Villanova um, you certainly would call him a late bloomer I mean before his uh, tremendous uh, NCAA tournament maybe when he wins most uh, most outstanding player at the Final Four I mean is is Dante Divincenzo well, he's not going into the draft first. First off, yep. um, is he a second rounder? You know, like in January 2018, is he projected to be drafted at all if he comes out? I don't know, right? I mean, I think, um, I think ju- I'll just start by saying this: I always have concerns about guys who are late bloomers and who are, you know, role players at that. I mean, we're not talking about a late bloomer who became like, you know. Of, you know like an alpha or something like that right and there's obviously arguments that like, well that means he can slot in and he'll he'll understand how to play a role and that's kind of true but it also means like i mean historically these guys like the, the, the there's a history of these types of guys like the guy who randomly shows up at the end of his junior year and suddenly looks pretty good i mean dj wilson was that guy a year ago right yeah. um I, you know again like there's a reason why you know these projection models don't tend to like guys like this. I mean, he was 28th in, uh, Tom Haverstrow did like a, a survey of like different projection models, like statistical models. Um, and he was 28th overall in that he was a range of 18 to 42, I think. And and again, it just kind of speaks to like guys who are older guys who, you know, take a long time to get good. Uh, and guys who aren't really, you know, big usage players and are a little bit older. I mean, those guys just tend to not be, as certainly as upside NBA players and I'll, I'll sort of table that that part of the conversation because I think really for me I think again I don't think Dante DiVincenzo is like doomed to be like a bad player I don't think he's like doomed to be DJ Wilson 2.0 I mean I w- would hope he's going to be a pretty good player a solid player a rotation type guy you hope he might be able to get a run at, at minutes next year if he can hit threes and you know defend reasonably well but um but uh, let me table the, the 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 rest of my I don't want to call it a rant because I don't care enough to call it a rant. But um, th- there are definitely reasons why I'm not as excited. Um, but let me pause there because I just went over a bunch of stuff, including his stats and his background. I just want to give you a chance to kind of react to that a little bit. Yeah, I think there's a, a bunch of kind of interesting stuff there because one. I think the ecosystem stuff is really interesting because you are looking at someone who played on one of the best teams in the country and one of the best teams in the country for a while now. And um, I guess one thing that's sort of interesting to me is that with Jay Wright, I'm trying to think, and again, I, I don't know college basketball well enough. I don't feel like Jay Wright has a ton of freshmen that pop that I don't feel like he does like the one and done thing. That's not really kind of his style. And uh, I'm just curious if if you get to see Dante DiVincenzo at a different school, does he pop earlier? Or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because I think there's obviously the questions about, well, why did it take so long for him there? And I think a lot of people would say, well, because there was a bunch of good dudes at Villanova. They won the national championship the year before, so they didn't need him as much. And I do, as you were kind of going through all that, I was like, what if he went to, where was Mitchell Robinson going to go? Western Kentucky. What if he went to Western Kentucky? Like, Does he have a 25 and five season with 
way worse efficiency when he's like a, a, a sophomore or something like that. Um, so uh, that I kind of thought of the the con- the converse of that, but at the same time, I think those those concerns are very real. Uh, because there is, I think, maybe a little bit of inflation on some of those assist stats. Because, like you said, those aren't those aren't true. Maybe creator assists. Those aren't true. I broke you down off the dribble. I'm a playmaker assist. Those are. Hey, we have a great system, and we have a bunch of really good players. And I made the right read. Which I don't want to underrate making the right read. That is not something everyone can do that is not something every college player can do um and that's not something every nba player can do so there is some value in it but it's also not a self-created assist if that makes any sort of sense um so uh, i do think all of those questions uh, are extremely valid i think it it is interesting with the free throw percentage i know i've seen uh, that's always something like you said that we look at as you're trying to project someone's ability to shoot in the nba um where they shoot the free throw line in college I am. Uh, I think often if we would flip these and say, for example, that he shot five free throws per game or 5.3 free throws per game, like he shot threes this year and shot 2.7 threes per game, uh, and those percentages, like let's say he shot 2.7 threes per game and shot 40%, we'd probably question that three-point validity, right? Like we'd be like, well, what does that sample really mean? Like, is that... Uh, legitimate is it not um so i i don't know like I, I just think he's a really tough player to evaluate from those numbers because of that ecosystem and uh, just uh, it's tough because that team was good they had a bunch of good players there's certainly things that he was able to create because of those good players and there's also i think maybe ways in that those good players and that good system limited him in some ways so i just think he's really tough to evaluate so you kind of have to go through some other things but i think in the end of it uh you mentioned guys that you didn't want the bucks to draft and he was not on my list uh he was someone that i was generally fine with uh Maybe it's because I've seen him shoot a couple pull-up threes. Um, I'm not sure if they were. Uh, I'm not sure if they were pick and roll opportunities. Uh, but I, I did see a couple pull-up threes, and uh, you talk about that range. I think those are all things that'll play. I, I was. I guess it was just kind of interesting how it all came out, right? Because Jerome Robinson goes at 13, and that was that guy. He was on my list. He was someone I, I did not want the Bucks to draft. I did not think that would be a good pick because he was so poor defensively. Uh, and then DiVincenzo was a guy that was connected to the Bucks now for the last 48 hours or so. Jonathan Gavoni had him as the Bucks pick for the last 48 hours, and uh, I know other people had the Bucks connected to him as well. And in my head, when the rumor came out from uh, what is the radio host in phoenix's name paul gambor son Gambador, the guy who's like usually wrong correct yeah. but it came out that he had the sons taking dante DiVincenzo, and then all of a sudden that put together i mean that was a really that was going to be a really interesting spot because that would have meant zaire smith was available lonnie walker was available and kevin herter was available as well as robert williams who ended up falling all the way to 27 those four guys were going to be available and I guess it was interesting because I wasn't necessarily sure that any of those four guys, actually, I shouldn't say Herter was going to be there. Um, but I didn't think, you know, necessarily those other three guys were going to be there. So there, those are four guys that I think I preferred to Dante DiVincenzo. And I guess 
it's tough to kind of parse because all of those guys have warts. And, yeah. and there's, there's no doubt about it. Like Zaire Smith, who knows what he is going to be. There's some people that have him rated really high. There are other people that think, how could this guy ever end up being like an NBA player? Because what's I guess he's going to be good on defense, but can he shoot? Can he handle? Can he do anything? He's only 6'3". Like, how does this work? Uh, when you look at Robert Williams – he kind of had some motor issues. He had uh, some struggles playing hard all the time. He maybe wasn't in the best system that allowed him to be the rim running, uh, rim destroying, uh, pick and roll, roll man big. Like so, he had some question marks there. Um, at Lonnie Walker, it sounded like his medicals weren't awesome. Um, Jonathan Gavoni said that was maybe a little bit overblown, but uh, you know he had some questions as well from kind of being the man at Miami uh, and, you know, maybe suffering from some of those efficiency things that we were talking about with ecosystem there. Uh, and then with Kevin Herter, he was someone that obviously both you and I thought a lot of, and that was obviously influenced by our guy, Cole Zwicker, thinking that Herter was the guy that the Bucks should pick. But at the same time, I think maybe Herter had some questions. What kind of playmaker is he? Does it matter if he's such a good shooter? Does does he need to be a playmaker? Can he just attack a closeout every once in a while and be fine? Is he going to be fine defensively? How does all that work out? So all those guys had warts, but I think all of those guys, there's a world where their upside is significant right like there's there's a world where Zaire Smith ends up being one of the better players in this draft there's a world where Kevin Herter ends up being the best shooter in the draft and a game-changing shooter there's a world where Robert Williams could be the next Clint Compella there's uh there's a world where Lonnie Walker ends up being a 3 and D guy that can create a little bit and all of a sudden another guy that's a step above Dante DiVincenzo and I think to me, that's what ends up being the disappointing kind of thing here because it it did ultimately feel to me that the Bucks went a little bit on the safe side, and again, maybe end up maybe going for the safe side means they totally whiff because they don't get any uh, of those elite archetypes that I mentioned with all those other players. Um, but also, you know, maybe there is just a world where. Dante DiVincenzo is a contributor on a rookie contract for the next three years. The Bucks sign him, and he's a contributor for seven years, eight years, and it ends up working out. But also, it it felt a little bit safe, and I just think there was so much excitement as all those guys fell, 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 and Bucks fans were thinking, okay, we're going to get someone here. And then it was someone that I think they all thought could have been had later. Yeah, I, I think you covered a lot of kind of my feelings, right? Like I was, I was definitely happy when I saw the the ultimately false report that DiVincenzo was going 16 because, like you, I again, I don't know what Zaire Smith is going to be, but he's got just a very unique combination of just physical tools and you know, kind of burgeoning skills that mm-hmm. I think are still, you know, he he's kind of the the lump of clay but really athletic clay um, <laughs> yeah. that is that is obviously very interesting and I agree with the other guys I mean I, I don't really Lonnie Walker's kind of tough like Lonnie Walker is the ultimate guy you fall in love with watching a three minute highlight video and then yep. you look at his numbers and you're just like why is he not better um, yeah. but again I mean he was, he was just a freshman but he plays with a force and a physicality that 
you know, any six four, six ten wingspan. He's got kind of like the the Donovan Mitchell frame, you know, which obviously yep. this year everybody's I'm sure clamoring for. Although I mean, Lonnie Walker goes eighteen, so maybe, maybe not so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely in terms of like the connective tissue, the basketball IQ. Um, you know, he shot a decent percentage from three, um, uh, and he just makes plays that that pop right i mean yep. he, he has some just drives and finishes and you know he plays with a power that you know a lot of these other guys that are kind of in this mix of the kind of these like you know six four shooting guard types like they don't make including de vincenzo who again yeah de vincenzo has a you know terrific vertical leap on paper but he ain't doing some of the stuff that that lonnie walker does in those highlight reels you yeah, know whatever so we'll see um i think certainly he's got you know more polish around the rest of his game and and you know certainly um, if again, I hate the idea of drafting a guy cause you think he's just gonna, Oh, he's just gonna help us next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously all things being equal, you'd rather have a guy who can be really good right away rather than have to wait for him. Um, and, and obviously there's, there's certainly, you know, real, real arguments for, for why DiVincenzo does that. Um, and, and it's kind of hard too, cause it's, you know, it's really hard to parse like what the bucks type is, what, who's even really driving decisions. Cause Again, this is, you know, for a lot of the scouting staff, this is their first draft under John Horst. Last year, you know, John Horst shows up, you know, less than a week before the draft as, as the, you know, um, official general manager of the Bucks. So um, I, I guess you, you can maybe give him a bit of a pass on, on DJ Wilson. Um, you know, certainly if this pick doesn't pan out, I mean, again, like it, it, we the, the bar for this pick should not be DJ Wilson and Rashad Vaughn just because they were 17th overall picks by the Bucks because... I mean, if Dante DiVincenzo can avoid falling into a volcano, he'll probably be better than those guys. Um, but <laughs> don't you know, say again, that. Like, don't say that, Frank. You have no idea oh, what could or could not happen. Avoid, avoid Hawaii, Dante. <laughs> um, so uh, again, but that's not the bar. I mean, the bar, and, and again, and so I kind of struggle. So I mean, let me get into the the idea of of like sort of the the upside versus whatever play. So so I would agree with you. I mean, I, I got excited. I, because like I could talk myself into, and again, like a lot of it too is like interesting because, like I think we all we both admit like we don't have as much information as teams. Obviously, we haven't seen these nope. workouts, we haven't interviewed these guys, we don't know the psych testing, we don't know the medicals. Um, but every year, this kind of stuff happens, and teams get cute and they pick safe guys, and you know the guy who's interesting. Everybody then is like, why the hell didn't you pick that guy? Right? Like last year, I mean. There, we'd mentioned that there were a few of them that, that the Buc- that were drafted after um, the Bucks, you know, went for this sort of older role player guy in DJ Wilson, who seemed like a quote unquote safe, like oh he'll be a decent role player type guy, and then you know basically he was deemed unplayable by. To be by the fair to staff. Dante Divincenzo, I would say he's a much stronger prospect than DJ Wilson. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, as we said, I was re-listening to our our podcast actually from a year ago, and I mean. We, we were just not in any way expecting DJ Wilson to even be in the conversation, right? Yep. <laughs> At least Dante DiVincenzo was mocked in this. Ra- I mean, and again, I know that DJ Wilson, it's not like DJ Wilson was going to be like a late second round pick if the Bucks hadn't picked him. I mean, there were other teams looking at him. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it. you just look at the tools um, <laughs> and the age of some of these younger, of some of these other guys, right? Whether yep. it's, you know, I mean, we can't talk about Zaire Smith because he got picked at 16, but... Um, but you know, just some of these other guys, whether it's, you know, Walker, uh, or even Herter, um, I'd, I'd throw Elio Kobo in there. Um, I'd throw Williams in there. I mean, again, like those guys, like, again, like, what do I know? Fine. But certainly I would have been, 
I would have been more excited about those guys just because, again, I think I think just the ceiling is much higher. And I think fundamentally my problem or my lack of enthusiasm is really because, I mean, it feels like the Bucks the last couple of years have just sort of been drafting like a like they're the Warriors or something <laughs> or like, you know, like, like they're a great team and they're just sort of like filling in pieces and, you know, they don't have to worry about adding kind of high end talent. They need and, one more guy. Like there, there's yeah. uh, just to be in the conversation with some of these other teams, they need one more guy. Yeah. I mean, and again, like, you know, like I, I think there's sort of, I, I think the Bucks have kind of talked a lot of like casual local fans into the idea of, uh, you know, like we can just ride Giannis to uh, like, you know, contention just on his back and, you know, they just get some decent guys around him that like, oh, okay, then then we'll be right there. But it's like, look at what this Bucks team has done. I mean, that again, like the, the, the first round picks of late, I mean, Jesus, Thon Maker really needs to like make strides this year because you know, it's it's very possible that Jabari Parker walks this summer Right, or you get very little for him in a sign and trade, or something like that. Um, it's very possible that Thonmaker is just sort of like a frustrating, you know, sort of like rotation big, but but ultimately like not not a good player, not like a, a plus NBA player. And you know, obviously Rashad Vaughn has already been written off, and DJ Wilson. Again, we don't even know if this guy's going to get his third year option picked up. So the Bucks have just squandered. Um, a lot of opportunity in the first round and you know again like I said the other night even if you just get decent rotation players out of you know the Vaughn and and uh, and Wilson picks your cupboard is so much in such better shape than it is otherwise because it means that you've got you know cheaper guys that you can rely on and you're not having to go out and sign free agents or you know you know whatever it's just it's just kind of a knock-on effect or you've got assets you can make trades and instead the Bucks the Bucks don't, right? I mean, the first round pick they had last year is a useless asset from a trade perspective, right? I mean, yep. no, nobody like maybe like is there a team that would give you a second round pick for DJ Wilson right now? I, mm. I, I don't know. Um, I, I certainly would have gladly dumped DJ Wilson for a second round pick tonight, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, um, but yeah. So I, I, again, I, I think the Bucks are still in a position where you know it's not 2013 where they swung on on Giannis and. They had no stars, and you know they were. It was really dire, and you you really had to go for it. I mean, okay, they're not in that bad of a position, but as you said, I mean Jabari is a massive question mark. I know some people still consider him as potentially a you know a, a third banana or something for the Bucks. I don't. Um, I'm you know I'd love that if that if he was rescued from sort of you know that fate somehow. But again, I, I don't I don't think he's going to be like the guy that helps the Bucks. You know knock off the Celtics in, you know, 2020 or something like that. Um, and Bledsoe's obviously question mark. And, and so you're really left with Giannis being incredible and, and Chris, who you hope will continue to be really, really good, like borderline all-star. So, so yeah, it's, it's tough. You really do need hits and, and even rotation players would be good. Right. And yeah. I, and I realize a lot of people like, well, you can't expect to get a star at 17. I get that. I totally get that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I also don't think like, oh, it's just a matter of getting a, you know, get another, get a, get a sixth or seventh man and then, you know, you'll be competing, competing for a championship. Like you're not there. And I, I also am just fundamentally not somebody who believes that you're going to go free up cap space in 2019 and go f- find some other star that way. Like I, I don't, again, I think the path of doing that is very difficult just to even get cap space. And then who are you signing? 
you're going to get Kemba Walker for 30 million a year. Like, I mean, all of it is just such a, such an unlikely scenario to me that again, I think you really have to try to maximize your chances of, of finding a really major piece in the draft. And again, like, yeah, I know the odds of finding an all-star at 17 are low, but I would still, you know, what was it? Chucky Carr? What was, what was Chucky Carr's old thing with the Brewers? Like Chucky Hacks? Wasn't that a thing? Like they asked him about like why he didn't take like a three a zero pitch or something like that, and he's like Chucky Hacks. I'm I'm that I'm, could all, be right. I'm, I'm all aboard. Just you know, Frankie Hacks. You know, like, <laughs> well, take take your cuts. And, and again, if you strike out with Lonnie Walker, okay, I, I I can accept that. And again, like if there are you know. Other circumstances, that's fine. Like if the Bucks passed on like one guy who had potentially reasonable upside, and Vincenzo's like, you know, not that far off, then fine. But it just feels like there are a lot of guys that that came after him that you can look at, and it's like that guy's much more likely to be, you know, a star. Again, not likely to be a star, but definitely more likely. And you know, I made the comment on Twitter that, you know, Vincenzo's like guaranteed to not be the to have been the best player available. Bear in mind. Mike Budenholzer said the exact opposite. Like, oh, they're confident they got the best player available. And I hate to break it to you, Mike, but pretty much never does it. <laughs> teams almost never actually draft the best player available at the time of the draft. So that that that's you know again, like it, that's really hard to actually make the the best pick when you have you know the entire universe of guys who are left. It's hard to get the best player available. That's why I think BPA is sort of like a difficult concept because it's premised on the idea of just doing something that is really difficult mm-hmm. um but uh but look i mean 21 year old juniors who bloomed really late and were you know r- you know basically role player six men on good teams in college like that ain't the profile of the guy who's going to be the best player like that could be the safest player that could be the highest floor player maybe that could be the guy that will take the least effort to sort of get him up to speed in the nba like those things might be true, but in terms of like the guy who's the most likely to be the best player, which you know from 17 to the rest of the draft, like there's, uh, I think there's another all star somewhere in there. I can't tell you that it's you know definitely Lonnie Walker or Robert Williams or some of these other guys, but I, I'd at least feel like you have a better chance doing that. And, and so I think fundamentally, you know, again, you're you're kind of locking yourself into trying to get a little bit better rather than you know giving yourself at least a better chance of of maybe you know in a couple of years becoming a lot better so again that's just sort of my philosophical view of it um and and again we're i may be a little bit biased as well just because the bucks first round picks have have been problematic uh, of late but yeah to me divincenzo just i don't know he just feels more like a kind of a late first second round type type guy and you know kind of that high floor higher floor type guy uh, and again, I, you know, hope he finds a role and hope he does really well next year. Um, cause I think certainly he fits well with a lot of the things the Bucks have and hopefully with Mike Budenholzer that, you know, Hawks university, whatever, whatever the Bucks equivalent will be called. Hopefully that works wonders for him and, and others on this team. But, um, but yeah, it, it, I just didn't think it was a particularly inspiring choice. I think what's just, uh, to me, interesting is you mentioned, I guess just kind of thinking about the idea of safe, right? And you, you move up, so if there's just a huge graph here from, you know, top to bottom, 
and you move up from the bottom and you say, okay, well, that's, that's the floor. So we made the floor a little bit higher. And to make the floor a little bit higher, you bring the ceiling down a little bit. Okay. Like, I, I can kind of understand the appeal of that. You know, you, you want to have that higher floor. You want to feel like you at least have someone. But when you move that ceiling down, there's how many ever feet in between the old ceiling, the very highest ceiling, and the new ceiling, right? Like, there are outcomes within all of those things. So I just think by you – know, like, sometimes when you take a big swing – you don't hit a home run. Yeah. But you usually also, you don't. At 17, you usually you don't, sure. right? But, but but that doesn't mean that it's the wrong pick either. But it also doesn't mean it's a strikeout. Yeah. Like you're if you're if you're swinging for a double and you get a double, that's awesome. And you know, if you're swinging for a double, maybe that means you're you'll for sure get a single. But if you swing for a home run, you know what happens sometimes? You get a triple. Or <laughs> sometimes you get a double. Or yeah. sometimes you get a single. Like all of those, all of those outcomes are within this wider variance. And again, you might swing and miss. You might strike out. I get it. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I just think, as you think through it, like just taking a home run swing doesn't mean that it is home run or strikeout. There are yeah. a bunch of outcomes in the middle there. And, and I think so often when you think about the high floor, high ceiling low floor, low ceiling, like all, when you think about all those things, I think it, it comes to be something that's, that's very, that's very simple. Like, Oh, he's got a high floor. Okay. That means he'll be able to play. Well, you know, he was, uh, he's got a high ceiling. So we took a chance there. Well, you know, if it doesn't work out, he's going to be out of the league. Well, maybe he won't be out of the league. Maybe this high ceiling guy, whoever it is, uh, maybe he doesn't realize his full potential and become an all-star, but maybe he is a role player. And, you know, you took a swing out, uh, you took that home run swing and it ended up being not quite a home run. So I just think that's always something that it's just so simple to think of in those terms, but there is a bunch of variance within those terms. And I think it's something that, that we rarely think about. So um, I guess one other thing, we'll try to wrap it up here. We've talked over half an hour. Uh, I'm tired and would like to go to sleep. Uh, but one thing that we we've kind of haven't been able to talk about was uh, the idea that the Bucks were, you know, going into it. We thought, oh, the Bucks could buy a second round pick. And I guess one thing that's interesting is that no one bought a second round pick. Like that was that was not something that happened tonight. There were trades that involved cash considerations. Um, there were trades that involved. Let's I think let's see what the Pistons got the 38th pick by giving the Sixers two future second round picks. Um, so I guess it really wasn't, I guess Jonathan Gavoni was not far off and I don't know why I would have ever guessed that he'd be far off, but I guess last year Jordan Bell cash considerations, like really scared people off of selling second round picks. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the, the lack of enthusiasm we had for the Tyler Zeller trade. And again, I, I ended up liking Zeller, at least not in the playoffs, but at least in the regular season. I thought he was a nice piece for the Bucks. But, you know, again, giving away a second round pick, which, which again, like there were protections on it. Um, it was going to convey eventually uh, and uh, it ultimately conveyed this year. Again, it's like, man, you know, you give away a second round pick for a role player and you know, now we see it, right? I mean, the, the the price of a second round pick was high, and so 
probably not surprising given that the Bucks didn't buy a second round pick. Um, and even some of the trades, right? I mean, giving up multiple future seconds for a first, a second round pick this year. I mean, that's, that's also costly, right? Um, so uh, again, and, and besides that, I mean, again, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think if you know the Bucks, like, let's just be honest. I mean, given their history of selling picks and I, I know you were asked, you asked on Twitter tonight about like, when was the last time the Bucks bought a pick? And then a bunch of people were like, well, they bought one last year. It's like, well, yeah. They made money last year. For anyone who responded to that, if you honestly didn't know what I was getting at, <laughs> I was like you're an idiot. I don't know what else to tell you. Like it was very clear what I was, I was getting at. I was trying and, to defend you. And everyone hashtag. Like, well, actually, Eric, they sold one and bought one last. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. That was really helpful. You're really helping out this exercise. Yeah, last year. Oh, by the way, Sterling Brown was the 46th pick last year. By the way. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, last year doesn't count because I mean the Bucks actually I think they made money right and they Correct. just sold their one they had and they got one that you know from the Sixers or whatever. So, but yeah, like just buying one um, outright, I I I don't recall. I mean, so if someone wants to look that up, I I I don't have the interest at this point of the night. But um, but yeah, I mean the Bucks don't. I mean, look, the Bucks historically have been sellers of second round picks, not buyers. And if you want to call them cheap for that, be my guest. Um, so uh, you know. Historically, probably not surprising. The Bucks wouldn't throw a bunch of money at this to try to add some talent, um, and uh, obviously, it looks like that would have been difficult anyway, right? Given just the yep. market, that would how it shaped up tonight. So, and yeah, I, didn't, didn't also, there, but. also, I wanted to say too. Um, I think as that board came down to the Bucks at seventeen, I think as we were kind of talking about it, both of us were herder guys, and it was like, okay, take herder. Or, you know, those other guys are fine, too. Maybe this is a spot where you trade back. No one traded back in that part of the draft. And that was something I had mentioned in my article at ESPN Wisconsin before the draft was that, you know, I, I can't imagine the Bucks are the only team that thinks pick 15 isn't all that different than pick 30. And a lot of those guys are the same. And obviously the draft didn't end up playing out exactly how we thought. And uh, we just mentioned a bunch of, guys, bunch of guys with high upside, but also in that same mindset it, is that you need You need a team that wants to hop up, right? Like if everyone's trying to move down, well, it's going to be tough to move down. You need someone that needs to move up and you need to be able to find something there. So we'll never be able to go inside the draft room. We'll never be able to know what was actually happening there. But uh, I would be curious to know, like, was the fact that no one traded the last team that traded down was what the Clippers that traded down to 12. Um, since no one traded down that range, I'd be curious. Were there offers? Was there a way to move down? Because if so, and if people were holding their second rounders tight, not willing to sell them, maybe that was the way to get one of the guys that we had mentioned liking. And then also uh, being able to, get a second round pick and i don't know it, it's it's one of those things that you just never really know and it'll be pretty much impossible to ever know um if there were offers on the table if they were able to uh have a way to get down to a spot where they liked and then still get one of those guys like i don't know if it would have been possible but uh, it is something that certainly i'm thinking about as i think back on this draft yeah i think uh and i'm generally not a fan of trading back just because again Look, I, I, I want to take my, my cuts at the best possible player, right? Yep. Where are you likely to get the best possible player? 
higher in the draft or lower in the draft, right? I mean, um, fundamentally, if you're trading down, you're basically gambling that you're smarter than everybody else um, and that, you know, you think you can get a guy of presumably comparable value later in the draft in all likelihood or you don't think there's really value where, where you are now. Um, and, and again, I mean, at this point, very hard to give the Bucks the benefit of the doubt on that front. Um, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think just looking at where talent went, I think what Okobo went, I think 31, um, you know, there were some interesting picks that pushed, you know, there were some picks that surprised me in the twenties that obviously pushed other guys down a little bit more than, than maybe you would have expected. Um, and that obviously could have been an opportunity, right? If, if you had been able to trade back, but again, now we're just sort of entering the realm of speculation, right? Like I don't, I know, like I I don't like criticize. I like, I, I think it's fair to criticize the bucks for, you know, things that we can what, see and know what, yeah, exactly what they did. Right. Like yep. if Dante DiVincenzo isn't a good basketball player, then easy to say bad pick. Um, but to say like, well, they should have traded up to spot X and done this. Yep. That's a lot harder to do just cause we don't, we don't really know what was necessarily on offer. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I you know, again, I, I just think it's fascinating. Like I, you watch kind of like tonight and you kind of wonder like do the bucks think they're closer than i think they are <laughs> to whatever whatever it is they're they're aspiring for um you know that that kind of is one of the takeaways i have that like you know again maybe they they just feel like they don't need to to go for you know the really good players and let me let me ask you this um were there any picks that really jumped out of you as being like you know that you were really that you thought like oh i'm really jealous of that team getting that guy at that spot anything kind of jump out at you i think for me um you know we talked about michael porter being an interesting player i think a lot of risk not just his back but some questions about his attitude and you know some of that stuff but uh i think denver getting him at 14 i mean again getting a guy with a pedigree of a former you know number one number two overall high school prospect um and just his diverse skill set um I think getting him at 14, I mean, I think that's, to me, that's a no-brainer, you know, hack <laughs> to go go hacking for, for Michael Porter at that spot in the draft. Obviously, there are other guys on the board. Some of those guys may turn out to be better, but um, but to me, that made a lot of sense, and um, I, I just thought that one kind of, I was definitely like, how far is Michael Porter going to drop? Not that, I, again, I didn't expect, you know, the Bucks to have a shot at him, but I mean, look, he went 14th, right? Like, that's that's a, that's a pretty steep fall for a guy that obviously um, a year ago was a guy that many thought would compete for, for the number one spot. Any, any kind of other, uh, I guess, picks or slides or moves up kind of surprise you or, or leave an impression? I was going to say, while you were thinking, do the Bucks not really want to take a swing on a player, I was thinking kind of the converse of that, where it's like, do these teams know something I don't know? Um, because as I saw Lonnie Walker falls, I saw Robert Williams fall. Um, I was kind of thinking through my head, like, aren't those guys good? Or maybe they're not good. Like, why are these guys falling? Um, and that was just kind of something that, you know, it's tough to figure out. Uh, obviously whoever came with Miles Bridges was going to get this award for me. Uh, so the Charlotte Hornets getting Miles Bridges. Um, I don't know if I... Uh, I don't know if I love how they got to it, um, but uh, I'm a, I'm a Miles Bridges fan, so that was one for me. And then the Hawks, man, going into this draft, I mean, the two shooters that I talked about and was like, oh, man, it'd be cool if the Bucks had one of these guys were Trey Young and Kevin Herter. And that Atlanta team might suck next year, 
but they are going to chuck up threes and <laughs> there's going to be high variance in those games. And there could be some really fun nights. If, uh, if you see young and Herter get off on the same night. Uh, I mean, I was going to say the, the uh, from the Mavericks perspective, I think, uh, I, I think Mavs fans should be excited. I mean, coming in at number five to end up with Doncic, who obviously, yeah. you know, you can make a very strong case. He's, definitely the best player in this draft i thought that was obviously a huge move for them um it's going to be really interesting the fact that atlanta traded down um and had a chance at at Doncic. i mean that's that's fascinating right like yes. we'll see i mean again like i i i am really intrigued by trey young we've talked about him a lot but man like pressure's on him right i mean if he if he's you know doesn't become a really good player and Doncic, you know lives up to sort of his hype um I mean, you're just asking to be second guessed. Obviously, the fact that you you tra- you know you you technically you know you have Luka Doncic put on the hat, <laughs> and, then, yep. and then trade him. Um, that that's kind of obviously asking for uh, you know what ifs kind of down the road. So I think that's going to be really really fun to watch. I thought um, I thought the Sixers, man, um, and this kind of speaks a bit to the Bucks as well. I mean, while the um, the Sixers looked like they were going the sort of safe, you know, oh, let's get a like a nice role player with the other the the better. Um, Villanova uh, wing uh, Mikel Bridges, and then they end up trading back to to get Zaire Smith, stealing him from potentially the Bucks, yep. um, and getting uh, what a Miami and it, there's some protection on that Miami pick at this point, right? It's not a yep. it's not an unprotected f- first in 2021, but um, the Sixers just basically getting arguably well, I-, I would argue probably the higher upside guy in Zaire Smith, and then getting another future first round pick. Uh, on top of that, I mean that that I thought that was, uh, you know, again, who knows, right? Maybe Mikel Bridges ends up being a great player who would have been a really nice fit for them. But, um, but I think that was a ballsy move that, again, like from a value standpoint, um, could work out really well for them. So, um, so yeah, just some some interesting interesting moves around uh, in in the draft. And you know, again, I I, I guess we'll see with with the Bucks and Dante Vincenzo. Uh, we'll presumably get a chance to see him in summer league here in a I guess a couple weeks two three weeks um so hopefully he looks competent and makes shots i i will say this too um i think it's been mentioned some people heard it. i mean you know don did chance i mean he went out and played at the at the combine had a good first day and then kept playing he didn't have to do that i think you know the we've kind of maybe have glossed over it a little bit but again you know the competitiveness i think that's a very valid thing working in his favor um, you know, the fact that he obviously is a guy who, who played, stepped up at the, the highest level in the college game and, you know, played the game of his life in the national championship. Um, that's, that's big. That, that's obviously a, a plus. Again, I, I always worry about over indexing on guys who break out in, in April, uh, during, you know, the, the, the tournament. Um, but you know, to his credit, right. I mean, he, he's obviously a guy who, who hasn't been afraid of the moment. And, um, certainly when you hear about like, dj wilson and maybe him just not kind of having the it factor <laughs> let's say yep. uh to be competitive and, and win minutes at the nba level um you know you certainly have have less of concern of that with uh, with dante DiVincenzo. so again very different player than than dj wilson um certainly age wise and progression wise there's a lot of similarities in terms of like how they develop as college players but very different types of players and Obviously, for a Bucks fan, you you got to be hoping a very different result as well. All right, that's it. I'm going to sleep. Uh, that is going to be it for us for tonight. We'll talk to you about it again on Monday. 
Um, I'd assume DiVincenzo presser would be Monday. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about the draft on Sunday night for the Monday podcast. And then Tuesday, you can expect uh, kind of a wrap up of the Dante DiVincenzo pick. So for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you, buddy. Later.